you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. If you have a Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Otherwise, you can join me on the phone version. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Matt. And uh, great to see you all this morning. Can we, can we pray that God's word that we just heard read would be alive and powerful now as we turn to it together? Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we 
We come before your presence as a, as a church community this morning and we acknowledge our total dependence on you. We acknowledge that your word is light and that unless you shone the light into the darkness, it remains dark. But we thank you that you have shone the light in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that now as we come as a community before you, as we come to bow our heads and our hearts underneath your word and to, to look upwards to you to receive the light that we need, Father, we pray that your light would blaze in our midst and that you would see, you would show us afresh the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, his presence among us, our desperate need of him, and the amazing wonderful gift that we have in his gospel. So we pray for these things this morning as we turn to you. We pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, as we begin, I want to ask a question which, is, which I think is a question that applies to all age. Who likes a good story about buried treasure? Anybody? Yeah, lots of you. If you didn't put your hand up, I'm ashamed of you. Like buried treasure is something that just grabs that part of your heart. And I know this personally because six years ago, I was fast asleep as you are in the middle of the night when I received a very good uh, a call from my really good friend, Paul. And uh, Paul, we've been friends for a long time. He actually spoke here last year at church. And, and he said to me, do you want to come and look for buried treasure? And I said, yes, of course I do. When do we start? And he said, tomorrow. So I spoke to my wife, Dana, to see if I could go on this treasure expedition hunt. And she said, yes. And then I spoke to uh, Ian Scarborough here at church to ask if I could take some of my annual leave. And he said, yes. And so two days later, I found myself in Montana in the United States, hot on the hunt for buried treasure. And I'll tell you more about that treasure in a moment. But today... In this passage in Corinthians, Paul speaks about a treasure and what a treasure it is. So we're going to look this morning at that treasure, but his focus in some ways is not only on the treasure, it's on the container which holds the treasure. So we're going to look at that fragile container which holds this amazing treasure. And then thirdly, finally, we're going to look at what the impact of the treasure is on the container which holds it. So three things this morning, a great treasure a fragile container, and uh, what results, which is an eternal transformation. So let's look at those three things together. So first, a great treasure. Well, the treasure we was looking for, uh, Paul and I were looking for, was Forest Fen's treasure. Anyone heard about that? I feel like I've spoken about this a few times in church already. But uh, here's a picture of it, I think, hopefully. Uh, Forrest Fenn was a um, famous antiques dealer in the United States. He was a very wealthy man. And towards the end of his life, he decided that he would put this box of treasure together, uh, which was valued somewhere around the, the time, about six million Australian dollars. And he would fill this with jewels and with ancient coins. And, and he would then bury it somewhere uh, in the United States, somewhere within five or six states, and that he would then write a cryptic poem pointing people, it's like a treasure map in a poem, towards this treasure. And he said, if you find this treasure, it's yours. You can keep it. And as you can imagine, that got people's attention. It got my attention, it got Paul's attention, and we found ourselves with many thousands of other people on the lookout for this treasure. Thousands of people went to find it. Five people died in the attempt. 
um, it was a global treasure hunt. Well, the, the, the Apostle Paul speaks in this passage of uh, 2 Corinthians about a far greater treasure, but a treasure that's also hidden. And he speaks about this treasure in verse 4. He calls this treasure the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what's this treasure? Paul says the treasure is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Uh, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, Messiah, the Hebrew word for Messiah. And he's speaking, of course, about Jesus. He says Jesus is the treasure. Now, I know that like me, you're sometimes saying to say, oh, couldn't we get back to Forrest Fenn's treasure? That's really exciting. But Jesus as the treasure? Sometimes we even wonder, is this news about Jesus even a treasure? Well, in verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's Paul speaking about here? He says, in the very beginning of time, if you could wind it back and you could be there when there was nothing, Paul says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was. Light shone into the world through the word of God. And then he says, now God has done a miracle which is no less impressive. He has said, let there be light in a human dark hearts and light shone into our hearts, changing everything. And he's, he's speaking, of course, from his own testimony. Yeah, someone's testimony is their own encounter with God. And you know, I'm sure, Paul's testimony. Paul was a Jewish rabbi. He was educated in the law. And he heard about this new gospel, this new good news about Jesus. And he didn't think it was treasure. He thought it was rubbish. In fact, he thought it was a disease that needed to be stamped out. And Paul was on the, the road to Damascus, ready to do just that, to stamp out, persecute these new Christians, when suddenly the light shone, you know, the blazing light shines into him so bright that he's blinded. And then over the next days, God opens his eyes and he shines the light into Paul's heart, overcoming the darkness. And Paul says, that's the treasure. And if you're like me, that you've heard this many times before. Uh, most of us here have been Christians. We've been following Jesus probably for a long time, many of us. And we know it's a treasure. We know that, uh, remember that time, how precious did that grace appear the hour we first believed, as John Newton wrote. And, and we know that that time when we were in darkness, we were caught up in our, in our sin and our, and our emptiness and our hopelessness, and then the light of God shone into our hearts. But you were saved through Jesus, but it's very easy to get complacent about that, isn't it? So easy to forget and to go through the motions. And it's a little bit like what happened last night, perhaps, the coronation of the king. Um, if you have a coin here, I doubt that any of you will have a king on your coin. I imagine most of you will have the image of the queen on your coin. But you're familiar with that. You, you handle those coins all the time. They're in the glove box to pay the parking, whatever, whatever they're there for. And you look on the back and you see the image of the queen, and yes, yes, that's... That's all very normal and real. But what if you could get an invitation to go to Buckingham Palace and have tea with the Queen? 
You know, what if you could actually receive that information? Would, would the image on the coin that you're so familiar with suddenly become more real? I actually, I actually got one of those invitations a long time ago, and let me tell you, it does. You go from looking at the queen on the coin to thinking, I'm going to see her in just a few hours' time, and you go through Buckingham Palace, it's like, this is amazing. I'm in the presence of royalty. This is unbelievable. I've seen the image so many times, but now it's different. And Paul says, that's the truth of what the light shining into our hearts in, in the glory and presence of Jesus is. It's infinitely greater than meeting someone like a royal person, the queen. It's, it's meeting the, the glory of the very one who created the entire universe. It's meeting God himself, it, you know, who created every cell in your body, right, at a micro level. But then you zoom out into the vastness of this universe. He created all these things. And Paul says, verse 4, for Christ is the image of God. So the one who shines into our hearts, the presence and the person of Jesus, is the image of God. God himself is in Jesus Christ, showing his power, his compassion, his mercy, his love, his beauty. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that is infinitely precious news about an infinitely precious relationship with an infinitely precious person. Jesus Christ, the very image, the glory of God. So that's the treasure that Paul speaks about. And, I, and I, when I'm trying to convey this to you, I'm trying to convey it to myself, this is the wonder of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But notice that it's a hidden treasure. So verse uh, three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So Paul is speaking here about Mount Sinai. He's referring back to the Old Testament. And you might remember that when Moses would come down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God, his, his face would shine so brightly that the people would go, we can't look. And he had to put a veil over his face to hide the glory of God. And, and Paul says, it's like that today. Not everyone sees this treasure for what it is. Many people have a veil over their face. They can't see. It, it's a little bit like on a day like today, actually. You can look outside and it's gray clouds and it's sleet. And in fact, I can hear it now. It's one of those cold, gray days. But if you were to be like Matt and be coming from a plane down from Cairns, and as you're flying over Victoria, all you can see is the bright, beautiful sun. The sun's still shining. The gospel's like that. The sun's still shining, but for some of us, it's veiled in a dark, gray world because we just can't see the sun shining. And the reason they can't see, Paul says, is not because they're not intelligent. It's not because they're um, not interested. It's not because they're not even open or, or searching. 4 verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. See what he says? They're blinded by the God of this age, the God of this world. Who's that? It's, it's Satan. Uh, the Bible teaches that Satan blinds the minds of people so they can't see the glory of the gospel of Christ. If you can see the glory of the gospel of Christ now, 
is because God in his mercy has lifted the veil from your eyes. The sun has blazed through because he's lifted the veil, but for many people in our world today, the gospel is, is veiled. The, the God of this age has blinded their hearts. Uh, Jesus himself tells us that, that his kingdom is like a treasure. Uh, you might know where he says, Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. See what Jesus is saying? It's like you're walking in the field and you stumble on something, uh, which I wish had happened to me with Forest Fence Trade. It didn't. But, but then you, and you, 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 and oh, it's the gleam of gold. And you, you go a bit deeper and you discover this is a treasure hoard. And, and then you cover it over and you quickly go and you sell everything you have to buy the field so you get the treasure. And when the gospel of the glory of God, the veil is lifted, you see how beautiful Jesus Christ is, and he is worth everything. He's worth losing everything to get that treasure. But the truth is that for many people, they, they kick and they look and they are, oh, this is not worth it. Maybe it's not a worthless thing, but it's, not a, it's an irrelevant thing to me. And they walk on past. So Paul speaks about this treasure, buried treasure, but the treasure which is the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so that's the treasure. Now secondly though, his focus in this passage is not so much on the treasure, as amazing as that is, we've been looking at that, what that treasure is the last few weeks, but on the container that holds the treasure, which is a very fragile container. Well, the container which uh, Forrest Fenn's treasure was held is here. I think, I think I've got a photo of it for you. This is the container. The container itself was worth many thousands of dollars. It was an antique chest. I think it was something like $20,000 value, the actual chest that contained the treasure. But the receptacle in which the treasure of the gospel is stored, Paul says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, jars of clay, we kind of think jars of clay are pretty special. I don't know if you've got a jar of clay at home. Um, it's probably pottery. It's probably quite, maybe it's something valuable. It's on a shelf or something. But in the ancient world, jars of clay were the equivalent of plastic bottles or plastic takeaway containers. They were super cheap. They were everywhere. They cost almost nothing. And you just, they were just part of everyday life. You, you used them, and when they broke, you didn't really shed enough shed any tears because it was just a jar of clay, you just threw it away, and then you got something new. In fact, archaeological digs around the Roman world, you find more jars of clay than you find anything else. They were ubiquitous, they were almost without value, and Paul says, we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Now, that's actually not flattering, I don't know if you realise that. Um, why? Because you are a jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay. It's not that flattering because the point is we're not particularly impressive. Jars of clay were not impressive. You are not impressive. I am not impressive. Um, our bodies are already decaying. Uh, we are all dying. Uh, some of us more quickly than others, but we are all jars of clay. We're, we're we're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We're created from the dust to dust we will return. We're jars of clay. And so what's the point? 
Paul's point for the Christians in Corinth who were so puffed up with their importance and they're so puffed up with their spiritual gifts and, and their, their famous preachers and their, and their power and their, all of these things. And he goes like, we're jars of clay. We've got an incredible treasure, but it's stored in jars of clay. Why? To show this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Not about you, that's easy to read that we have this treasure in jars of clay, but it's difficult to really grasp because we're often very focused on our jars of clay, aren't we? And you think, yeah, I can think of that bodybuilder. You're always focused on the jar of clay or, or the diet freak, always focused on the jar of clay. And, and that can be true, but it's also much true, true at a deeper level. Um, as people and as Christians, we tend to be impressed by the jars of clay, don't we? Uh, like, I'll give you an example. It preaches, I don't know about you, but I, you know, throughout my Christian walk, I'm often impressed by a really powerful preacher, charismatic preacher. I'm like, wow, you know, that, that's amazing. I'm really impressed by that receptacle, that jar of clay. And uh, this was brought home to me a couple of weeks ago because um, uh, I, <laughs> I, I told my mum that I was getting some help from Matt Keller in preparing my sermons. Matt Keller is one of the, the pastors on the team here. Matt Keller is pretty awesome, but it got back to me that I'd been getting personal help from Tim Keller with my sermons. And you might know, Tim Keller is probably one of the more famous uh, Christian preachers, teachers on the planet at the moment. And, and I was like, mum's telling everyone, oh, Andrew's getting personal help from Tim Keller. And, and I was like, you keep saying that, mum. That's wonderful. You know, I'm Tim Keller's star pupil. And uh, it was, but my point is, it was... It, it's easy to be impressed by jars of clay. It's easy to be impressed by someone who looks strong or is capable or is powerful or is charismatic. It's easy for us to be impressed by that. And it's the same as churches, isn't it? It's easy for us to want to be the kind of impressive church. Uh, us to want to be like the Corinthians, to have power and, and um, charisma and, and to say, yeah, we've grown to this and we've done that and all things are happening and it, it's amazing. But Paul's point, and that, to, the, to the Corinthians, the Corinthians were saying, well, Paul, that's part of your problem. You're just not impressive. You're just not impressive. You're a jar of clay. And Paul says, yeah, exactly. And the point is, it's not about the jar of clay. It's about what's contained in the jar of clay. Paul says, our message is not about us. It's about Christ. We're just jars of clay. And this is interesting for us practically as well, because I think um, often we as Christians, as we relate to one another, and also as we relate to those who are outside the church, we can kind of want to present that our jars of clay are more impressive than they really are. That who we are as Christian people is, is more impressive. We, we want to highlight the strengths that we have. So, and it can feel a little bit like one long job interview. You know what I mean? <laughs> Many of us have done job interviews, and you know how job interviews work, right? The point is not to present who you really are, but to present who you would like to be and who you think the employer wants you to be, right? So it's, it's a dance, you're in the job interview and the job, and, and say, okay, tell us about your strengths. And, oh, easy answer. Oh, 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 probably five's enough. Do you want me to give more? Another five? You know, these are my strengths. And they go, okay, you know, so, so tell me about a weakness. And in the job interview, you think, hmm, 
well, actually, there is a real weakness I have. I just find that I'm, I'm just too diligent. Like, I, so, sometimes I just, I just work too hard. Um, yeah, other times I'm just really too good at my job and it can make me, you know, that sort of stuff. You're not giving anyone weaknesses. You're, just, you're selling yourself the whole time. And that's the dance of the job interview. And sometimes as Christians, we, we, we kind of do the same thing, don't we? We kind of like... I want you to see my strengths. I want you to see my progress in the Christian faith. I want you to see how well I'm doing, how strong I am. And, and if you could be like me, then you'll be on fire as a Christian. And I want you to see my glare of change. Look at me. And, and we do it sometimes without even thinking. And, and what the, the danger with that can be is that we present an image of ourselves that's not true. And, and a greater danger is that we can actually Instead of pointing to the treasure which is in us, we actually are pointing to ourselves. Um, and we can do that as churches too. We can do it as individuals. Look at me, aren't I great? Instead of look at the beauty of the glory of Jesus, he's great. It's, it's, a, it's a risk, it's a danger, it's a problem. But Paul's point is that his weakness actually equals God's power that in his weakness as a jar of clay, God's power can truly be displayed. Um, Paul makes this point frequently over and over in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, But it's it's one that we sometimes need to hear because I think we often think that when we're weak, we ask for God's help and he makes us strong. But Paul's teaching seems to be more that when we are weak, and we ask for God's strength, God shines His strength through our weakness. He doesn't automatically replace our weakness with our strength. More often, He, gives, he allows His strength to show through our weakness. Um, it's what Paul means when he says in verse 8, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Um, Paul says his weakness has actually been the channel in which God's power can flow. That he's a clay jar, and actually he's a cracked clay jar. And as he's cracked, that the light of the glory of the gospel which contained in him can can blaze through the cracks and and reach out into others. When he's weak, he says, then I'm strong. So a great treasure, a fragile container, and then finally bringing an eternal transformation. Forrest Fenn's treasure was discovered. <laughs> During COVID, actually, somebody was obviously uh, out on the hunt and they found it. And honestly, when it was discovered in 2020, it was a bit disappointing. I'll tell you, th- this is what it looked like when they discovered the, tr- the uh, treasure. You can see the, uh, the treasure itself had taken a fair bit of damage. The box was kind of wrecked. And what was even more disappointing to me was like, uh, it was auctioned a couple of months ago, um, late last year. And, um, and when it was auctioned, instead of the $6 million that I thought it was going to be, it was only $1.8 million Australian dollars. Yeah, I know that's a lot of money, but not quite the same as $6 million, is it? And I wonder, I wonder what some of the people who invested their life savings trying to find Forest Fence treasure, and some people did, I wonder what they thought when they realized it was only worth $1.8 million. And I actually wonder about what the families of the five people that were killed trying to find that treasure thought. Was it worth it? 
I don't know. I don't think so. But the treasure we have in the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus is worth it. Because that treasure of the gospel that's contained in a fragile clay jar is worth it because it's eternal. So look what Paul says, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The gospel means resurrection. It means new life. Uh, uh, Broken clay jars will be resurrected. Our bodies will be resurrected. We will experience the new life of Christ for all eternity. And I love these words in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hear those words? These might be some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. Light, momentary affliction, preparing for us a weight of glory. Light, momentary affliction? Is Paul serious? Have you read what his afflictions look like? Do you remember back in the first chapter of of 2 Corinthians when he says that, that we were overwhelmed by trouble, it was like our ship was being overloaded and was, was going down beneath the waves. He said, we'd even got the sentence of death. And he says, light momentary. Light momentary afflictions. How can he say that? Light and momentary afflictions, because he can compare them to the weight of glory. So I, I don't know, maybe this morning, there, I'm sure this morning, All of us have afflictions of some kind. Some of us have afflictions that are particularly heavy. The weight of them is bearing us down. We agree with Paul and say, yeah, it's like I had the sentence of death. Light momentary afflictions compared to the weight of glory. You know that. This is a treasure, Forest Fens treasure, $1.8 million. That's not going to last. But the treasure which Paul speaks about is an eternal treasure. And now the the frail vessels that that carried around the jars of clay, yeah, we're battered and bruised and one day we'll be finally shattered. But the treasure itself is eternal. Doesn't fade or perish or rust. The weak, the frail, the laughable, the pathetic in the eyes of the world. The things that are often last one day be first. And there'll be a weight of glory that will make the universe cry out in wonder. That's your future. It's my light momentary afflictions now, a weight of glory then. I want to finish this morning by um, sharing with you a story of someone who who profoundly influenced me, a really godly man, a gospel minister, uh, he was the, the minister of my first full-time Christian employment here in Geelong at St. John's Heighton. His name was Ross Green. Uh, some of you might know Ross. Uh, Ross was the, the reason I came to Geelong, actually, because he was a strong gospel man. 
Uh, he was a, a fine preacher, he had a sharp mind, he was a very good musician, uh, he was leading a, a community of faith that had been faithful for a long time and, and had really grown, and, and I was in Melbourne and, and I wanted to come to Geelong to learn from this man, to learn from his strength, uh, and I did. I learned so much from Ross's strength, uh, learned so much about the way he conducted ministry, about his faithfulness um, in preaching the Word of God, in, in, in leading God's people. There was so much to learn. But I'll tell you something, I, I learned far more from his weakness, far more from his brokenness. Because um, soon after I spent time with Ross, he was diagnosed with a, uh, a very unusual disease. It was it was like Alzheimer's, it wasn't Alzheimer's. It struck him when he was relatively still a young man, not old, much older than I am now. And over the next years, the impact on Ross was terrible. Uh, his sharp, razor-sharp mind and his body that, that housed it just began to crumble. And the last time I saw Ross, uh, he was in a, a care home with much older people who were suffering from dementia. And I came into his room and there were people in the common room who, who were babbling and, and shouting and it was, it was very confronting. And, uh, and Ross said to me, he said, Let, let's go for a walk. And we went through the common room and he, he spoke uh, kindly and gently to a, a lady that was, that was yelling out. And then, then we walked outside and we shuffled along. And as we, as we were walking, um, I was grieving that this man who had been so dynamic, who had been so powerful in his ministry, here he was, just, just a broken shell. And, and sometimes I'd, his eyes would glaze over and he didn't really be there, and then he, then he would come back again. And as I was grieving this, we were shuffling along, and then out of the blue, he stopped and he looked at me and his eyes were clear and his face was, was shining. And he says, Andrew, I've learned this. It's a theology of glory. <laughs> a theology of glory. And I looked at this man who, whose body was broken, whose mind was shattered, but whose face was shining. He said, it's a theology of glory. I learned, I think, more in that moment through his weakness and his brokenness than I ever did through his strength. He was a clay jar, but as that jar was shattered and broken, the light of Christ, which had always been there, was shining brighter and brighter and brighter, and he knew it. He knew it. Uh, Ross, Ross died a couple of days ago. But he now knows the truth which you can grasp. He knows the truth of the treasure, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the image of God, the truth that if, if you will come and receive the treasure that is, that is available to you, if you will pray that God will lift the veil, and if you've been a Christian, he's lifted before, will lift it again. If you will put your hope in the treasure of Jesus Christ and that treasure will inhabit the frail receptacle that's your jar of clay. And in your weakness and in the afflictions that you will experience right now, maybe you are experiencing 
the treasure doesn't lose any of its treasure by being contained in a jar of clay because on that day you will have something that is eternal. Something that does not end. Something that will be good for eons, ages, eternity to come. These words are true of Ross. They can be true of you and me. Verse 18, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, I'm very conscious. I've had COVID this week. <laughs> like God uses, I pray, the weakness that I feel this morning as, I, as I'm speaking God's word to you. I pray that God would, would reach through that, would shine the glory of Christ. Then after I pray, we're going to come and we're going to share together in communion. We're going to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, show us again your glory in the face of your Son. Lord, we pray, take from us the pride in our jars of clay, in our achievements, our abilities, our our performance, our strengths. Take that away, Lord, and show us the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you remind us of our weakness so that we might receive your power and strength, that it might work through us, that this surpassing power would be seen to be not from us, but from you. And so, Lord, we pray for us as as individuals. We pray, Lord, that, that each of us, as we have this surpassing treasure within us, we would value that treasure, that we would gaze on the face of Jesus and be transformed from glory to glory as we do it. Father, we pray that as a church community, we would together gaze on the Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times when we, we focus on ourselves, we focus on human strength. Lord, we ask that you would work in our church, that you would work in our midst, and that you would shine your light into this city of Geelong, into the world in which we live. You said, let there be light, and there was light. Shine it in our darkness again, we pray. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Musicians, if you... Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.